0: Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond. Chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Yay, you are back with me for another episode of Fertile Minds Radio. I am so excited to be here today and to be talking about one of my favorite subjects in life. Which is food. Yes, it's confession time. I love to eat. I know that I should eat to live, not live to eat. And I try and keep my mindful wits about me when approaching food. But I'd be a big fat liar face if I didn't confess that I actually really do love food. And that is exactly what makes me the perfect person to bring you this concept today, because there's absolutely no judgment whatsoever. And to top it off, not only do I love food, but my husband is an even bigger foodie. His two decades of working in the wine business have afforded us both the blessing of eating at some of the most amazing restaurants on the planet. And to top it off, he cooks well and often. So ladies, I get it. This is not just about you. You definitely have to take your partner into consideration when it comes to what's on the table. And sometimes, like me, you are at their mercy. So if they're willing, have them listen to this podcast so that they can feel like they are serving up solutions to both of you and your fertility challenges. Now, this can be a really hot topic for some people. You may have even considered not pushing the play button on this episode. Maybe you thought that you've read it all when it comes to fertility because it seems like every time I turn around, there is a new study saying this food does this to your fertility or this food stops sperm production or pineapple will help implantation, but only if you eat the core, but don't eat so much. And it can be completely overwhelming, which is why I wanted to talk about it today, because I wanted to bring you some easy life solutions. I could give you study after study, but you could do that on your own. So if you are a science person, there will be some links in the show notes uh, at ladypotions.com backslash episode 21. But if don't need those things and you're all into solutions, I'm going to give you three different approaches today that you can start at your very next meal. Now I mentioned this can be a really hot topic. That's normal. If you feel a little bajiggity about food, most of my patients would rather me ask them who they voted for or how much money they make than me say, Hey, give me a list of everything you ate this week. And the reason for that is that food has a lot of ties for many of us. It's got our belief systems all wrapped up in it. This is good. That's bad. I can never follow a diet. I'll get fat if I eat that. My mom wouldn't let me eat that when I was little, so I hoard it now. I'll feel better if I eat that chip over there. Or I'll eat it in secret because I don't want anybody to know, and so on and so on. It's highly tribal, and it's very social. Most of us were comforted by food when we were little, and as adults in the Western world, it's often the center of many social gatherings. So it's really hard to get away from, or if you're on a special diet, you can feel like you're being ostracized when you go out to eat with friends and they're suddenly asking why you're being so picky. So when somebody starts poking at your diet, we all get a little on edge. We're going to take that away today. We're going to give you some real life tools in terms of eating for your fertility and feeling good about it. You know, Many of us had body image issues, myself included, and we've worked really hard to overcome those. And I definitely don't want you to get stressed that this is going to be the idea of cutting calories or taking certain foods out of your diet. That's not where we're going with this episode at all. So just stay with me. And I know that there are also a few of you out there who would rather take a pill than be bothered to make a decision of what to eat next. You would forget if you could. And chances are you skip breakfast a lot of times and maybe even work through lunch. And I've got to tell you, all of that is wreaking havoc on your blood sugar stability, which directly affects your egg quality. And if you do have blood sugar instability, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're overweight or have diabetes type 2 adult onset. This can be the opposite side, ladies. This can be hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, you know, forgetting to eat, living on caffeine, getting hangry and wanting to stab somebody. That's a sign that you have blood sugar instability as well. And when this happens, you can actually test positive when you do get pregnant for gestational diabetes, and you can pass that insulin instability down two generations. That's right. Two generations. Let that sink in. The genetic copy of what you're eating and the message that you are sending to all of your cells by what your mind is saying when you are eating it is what's determining your epigenetic expression. It's meaning it's either triggering genes to turn on or suppressing mutations. So it's not always exactly what you eat, is the mindset that you're in when you're eating can also affect this. And because that is kind of lighting up or dimming our DNA, what our DNA is looking like when we make that baby gives a genetic copy to our children, and then if we have girls, to their children. (laughs) So this has huge implications, but this isn't all bad. I want you to look on the positive side, that you actually have it within your power to positively affect the next two generations of your family by making some small changes in how you think about food and what you put in your body. This is one of the reasons I'm so impassioned about education when it comes to fertility. It's because we do have this power and I feel this tremendous need to let women know that being a good mom or being a good grandmother actually starts approximately a year before you get pregnant. One full year can have huge implications on your genetic expression and what you pass down. And I just think that that is so amazing. And that is definitely not something I was taught in science class. So I'm on a mission to let as many people know this as I can. So like I said, we're all very different when it comes to food, to setting habits, to adopting new principles to eat by. So today I've decided to give you three different ways to go about it. I know that changing the way you eat can seem wildly overwhelming. So I want you to just have a listen and I want you to pick the way that feels right for you and your partner at this stage of the game. It doesn't mean that you won't pick one and then come back and try on another. The idea is to actually pick what suits you and what suits your life. Like in a time when you have more opportunity to cook, One option might be better than another. And if it doesn't feel good, you're not going to want to do it. You're going to make every excuse not to. So that's the number one rule. You need to pick what feels right for you and your partner when you go about making these changes. And the other thing that you need to know is that you just need to start small. Even a 2% change every day, which can be as small as changing up one item that you eat or don't eat in a day has a cumulative effect. So maybe adding a veggie or deciding not to partake in that office birthday cake can make a huge difference because it all adds up. So many of us get stuck in the all or nothing perfectionism and we never break free of our negative habits. I am definitely guilty of that. I'm one of those people of like, diet starts Monday. And in the meantime, I've just given myself an extra two pounds to try and take off because I've indulged all weekend long. Or I feel like I can't do it unless I throw everything out of my house except exactly what I'm going to eat on my diet. And that's not really feasible for high stress life or what I like to call high impact life, Um, meaning that you've got a lot of stuff to do. And it's certainly not feasible once that baby comes along. And my main goal is to really help you to find a way or adopt a way of eating that is positive for you and your partner that you can actually keep up once your child gets here. Because not only are you shaping their genetics, but then you're going to be shaping their beliefs about food, right? You're going to be giving them their first tastes of food, which I look at as information, right? Food is just another piece of information for your body to take in and digest about the world around them. So we want it to be nourishing, right? We want it to be positive. And if you make this a habit now, before you get pregnant, and then you have nine months of gestation, it's going to be super easy peasy. So let's get started. The first approach is from Daoxing Ni, and his book, The Tao of Fertility. He is uh, an excellent practitioner in Los Angeles, California. And in his book, he outlines this approach where he treats your menstrual cycle like the four seasons. So if you've heard of eating seasonally, like eat what's in season, this kind of takes it a step further and it looks at the different phases of your menstrual cycle like the different seasons. And this can be really helpful to improve egg quality and sperm quality as well as your menstrual lining so if you're struggling in those areas maybe you've gone down the assisted reproductive technology road and you haven't had great outcomes in terms of healthy viable eggs um, or you know that male infertility is part of your challenge or maybe you've been on clomid and it's thinned your lining or you bleed for less than four days when you do have your period this simple approach is something that can drastically help you with even as little as three three months. Now, the negative is that it can be a bit difficult if you're a creature of habit or if you have a tendency to grab raw, cold food to eat because this is pretty much prohibited um, all the way through. There's They don't want you to eat any cold or any raw. And that's That's a principle that's pretty pervasive in um, Chinese medicine for the most part. I think even if you haven't had acupuncture, you may have heard this, like don't eat cold raw food, don't eat ice in your drinks, um, and don't walk around barefoot on cold tile floors because it destroys your reproductive chi. Now I'm going to go back into all of these in detail. Now the second approach is just a general list of what to avoid and things to bring into your diet, regardless of the time in your menstrual cycle. This is great for the person on the go. Maybe you are working too much or you're um, overwhelmed by having a strict diet because you have to go on a lot of business dinners. Um, and this can actually be work out really well if you are somebody that is overwhelmed by the idea of shopping or cooking. Because I generally suggest that if this is the category you fall into, that you subscribe to one of the fabulous organic meal prep delivery services like Green Chef. Because you can typically pick one of the diets that suits you that has a lot of fertility nourishing foods and cut out a lot of the foods that are a detriment to you. And then the third approach is really honed in traditional Chinese medicine of pattern diagnosis, And this tells you what to eat or not to eat based on your specific constitution. Now, this will often help you feel the best, the quickest, um, and it makes your overall constitution much stronger, uh, which always helps you achieve fertility faster. But it can be difficult if both you and your partner have completely different imbalances or constitution. So it's worth having both of you take the quiz that I'm going to provide at the end and see if you at least have some overlap. And then you don't feel like you're cooking so many different meals, right? If you love strict rules, this can be great because it gives you a list of foods to go towards and to avoid. So if you are one of those all or nothing people uh, who want fast results, this is probably your best pick. Okay. Okay. So let's dive into approach number one, into douching needs, eating for the seasons. When you look at the menstrual cycle, like the four seasons, you want to think of winter as your menses. It's the season of cleansing, of contracting, of ending, of letting go, right? This is when we go into hibernation. Then when we come into the follicular phase after the period has ended, This is much like spring, right? There's budding, there's new growth. Quite literally, the follicles on the ovaries are like budding flowers, right? Soaking up all that follicle, stimulating hormone as they grow. Hopefully one outgrows the others into uh, a big, beautiful, ripe egg. And then that season changes somewhere Just as the ovulatory phase begins into summer, and summer is really the peak of ovulation and then the first half of the luteal phase, because if you think about summer, all of the fruits are super ripe on the tree. They're at their fullest sweetness, right? About ready to just kind of fall off on their own if they're not picked. And that in its very sense is the end of the ovulation cycle. And then when you come into the luteal phase directly following ovulation, it's akin to autumn, right? It's the idea that earth is still filled with activity, but the leaves are beginning to fall and the temperature starting to drop, right? As we come towards winter, towards um, menses again, or pregnancy, which is like a whole season unto itself that lasts nine months, right? So for simplicity's sake, Daoxing Ni takes these four seasons and he splits them into basically two sacks. You know, the first two weeks of your cycle, including menstruation, and the last two weeks of your cycle. And the suggestion is that during your first two weeks, you eat a lot of foods that Have the ability to strengthen your egg quality as well as your energy, which includes a lot of wholesome grains. So if you do eat gluten, that would be on the list. This would be the appropriate time to eat that. Uh, And it also includes a lot of high-protein foods like eggs and meat and beans. And like I said before, it's super important that you eat all of these foods warm. Um, And the reason for that is because your body is actually trying to grow this egg, right? Which takes a tremendous amount of energy. And so we don't want to take away from that by eating cold, raw foods that are difficult to digest and require more of your body's energy to do so. We want all that extra energy to go towards making a perfectly ripe egg. Now, if you're somebody that is super fatigued and weak during menstruation, you actually want to eat a lot of blood nourishing foods like bone broth is an awesome thing to do. And you can actually cook up bone broth ahead of time. You can make, um, stock pot of it. And then you can use that as a base for different soups, like a veggie soup, a beef soup, chicken soup, and then freeze those off and actually keep them in the freezer for when you have your period. And that's an amazing go-to dinner. Just try and make sure that you put them in uh, glass jars as opposed to plastic so that you can avoid any xenoestrogens in the plastic, which are hormonal disruptors. And we definitely don't want to microwave our food if we can help it because that denatures the quality of the food. Um, So if you can just take the time to put it on the stovetop to heat it up, that would be in your best interest for sure. Now, in the second half of your cycle after ovulation has occurred, this is when you're going to be eating things that help your lining. Um, You want to start to eat things that help you moisten and secrete plenty of cervical mucus around that optimum ovulation because remember this includes the very end of the ovulatory phase, right? so during this time you want to focus on foods like spinach and kale and shard and berries so that is kind of the exception because oftentimes we don't cook berries right but berries are super high in antioxidants and they're also great blood builders for building the menstrual lining which is the next focus in this phase after ovulation so like i said in the beginning of outlining these three choices This one can be a little bit difficult if you're a creature of habit. So like if you are somebody that likes oatmeal every single morning, you might want to shift out of that after the first two weeks and into eggs for breakfast. Um, So you just have to keep that in mind that you don't want to be eating the same exact things for all four weeks. We want to actually have this shift um, from more grains and easy to digest foods into vegetables, leafy green vegetables and berries um, and eggs and meat when it's appropriate for you. Now, my second list is kind of a general list of what not to eat. And like I said, includes um, meal solutions like Green Chef or Sun Basket. Those are both great meal delivery businesses that have popped up in recent times here in the United States. And what they do is they provide organic food based on whether you're vegetarian or you want to follow a more paleo type diet, um, or even a keto diet, which is, um, can be very beneficial with fertility, but it is super hard for most people to stick to because a ketogenic diet actually requires that there's no cheating because it's basically a big chemistry experiment. You are tricking your body out of running off of insulin into running off of fat instead. Um, and they can have amazing results in terms of cognitive health and even resetting your endocrine system if you are uh, overweight by more than 30 pounds but there is no cheating on this. Otherwise you become a walking time bomb for a stroke. You can't have sugar and fat coursing through your blood cells and expect to be well. You kind of have to pick, well not kind of, you have to pick one or the other. Am I going to fuel my system with insulin or fat? And when you get pregnant, it can be very difficult to stay on a ketogenic for many, many reasons. So this is something you want to take very seriously if you are dabbling in the idea of doing a ketogenic diet preconception. Um, And then you would want to be under the guidance of your physician if you were to continue that while you are pregnant. So that was kind of a tangent, but let me back up. So the idea is very much like Douching needs in that we're including the addition of foods like eggs and avocados and seeds, um, sunflower, pumpkin, chia, flax, um, nuts, with the exception of peanuts, unrefined, coconut, full fat, organic, grass-fed dairy, as long as there's no intolerances or allergies, uh, in order to help Build healthy eggs and healthy linings and healthy sperm. You also want to try and pick as many veggies um, as you can or combination of veggies and fruit with every meal. I try and make half of my plate veggies at dinner. Okay, and so this doesn't mean just having a salad with every meal, right? This means a variety of cooked, organic, and in-season veggies and fruit to be the foundation of your diet. And then adding meat as needed for during your period when you've had a lot of blood loss. If you are craving meat, then yes, please eat it. Um, But really having an emphasis on when you do eat meat that you make sure it's organic um, or that your fish, your fattier fishes are wild caught as opposed to farm raised and that your red meats are grass-fed without the addition of hormones or antibiotics. All of this is super important when you do eat meat. So this is why I have it as kind of a limited portion of eating it once or twice um, a day. And a lot of my women that were vegetarians or prefer to eat vegetarian can handle eating meat as medicine and these small amounts of food. So this, this approach works well for them because they can eat, you know, um, especially if they're still including eggs in their diet, you know, they can have like a veggie frittata for breakfast, um, or a porridge with, um nuts or fruits added to it for breakfast and then for lunch they that may be the time that they have a salad or they have several cooked vegetables like half of a sweet potato and some braised greens and maybe a little bit of um tempeh which is a sp- which is sprouted grain, so different than tofu in that it's not going to load your body with soy, and the grains are actually much easier to digest. And then for dinner, having a couple different vegetables than what you had at lunch, and then one uh, small serving of healthy grass-fed organic meat. Um, Dairy is advisable for trying to conceive with this method if you don't have any allergies to dairy um, are known in like intolerances to where it just makes you bloated and lethargic. Maybe you don't have a full on lactose allergy, but it makes you inflamed. I know for myself, dairy from American cows makes me inflamed, but I do just fine when I'm in Europe and I'm eating cheeses from France and Italy and Spain. So I try to take that same approach when I'm going to indulge in cheese here, I'll go to an Italian market and get really good cheese. Um, Or if I am going to drink a little bit of milk with my tea, I'll get the A2 milk, which is from cows in Europe that don't have the same genetic mutation as American cows do. And they are oftentimes, um, their milk is not as inflammatory if you have problems with it. So that's something to consider. But always, 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 you want to eat full fat dairy (laughs) because if you take fat out of a food, what do you have to put back in it to make it taste good? Sugar. And as soon as you do that, it's automatically inflammatory no matter where it comes from. So that whole thing of fat-free foods in the nineties, that whole bill of goods that we were sold Basically, addicted all of us to sugar and hijacked our metabolisms. So, get it out of your head that high fat dairy is bad for you. It's actually very beneficial for your brain, for your cognitive health, um, as well as your fertility, because a small amount makes you satiated and it sends the message that you're in a safe place, that you've been well fed, and now it's time to rest biochemically after you eat it. So, Method two, very similar in food choices to method one, but we're not being so strict with how we divide it up seasonally. Method three is the pattern diagnosis of traditional Chinese medicine. Now, when a patient comes to my clinic or decides to work with me for fertility coaching, often they learn a great deal about themselves simply by taking the time to fill out my paperwork. Not only is it very thorough, but it's laid out in a way that they can actually see right away their own patterns of disharmony from a traditional Chinese medical point of view before we even meet. Um, Many people have told me that that difference alone when checking out acupuncture clinics gives them a feeling of empowerment and understanding of how TCM works and the reassurance that all of their symptoms that to them seemed kind of all over the map, suddenly fit together in this kind of perfect weave for somebody else. And that's exactly what Chinese medicine does. It makes sense of patterns of disharmony. And based on how many items you have checked off or their severity in one pattern, it also gives us a prognosis. It helps us understand how ingrained That pattern is. And so then that tells us how aggressive we need to be with acupuncture, with herbs, and with food choices. So, while you may not be able to get acupuncture or uh, an herbal diagnosis for me today, you can learn how to eat for your current patterns um, of disharmony or imbalances because I'm going to provide you with a food fertility quiz in the show notes where you can actually download this quiz and write in your answers and you're going to total them up based on how often you experience them so that for each pattern, you actually have a quantitative number. And I love this because it helps you decide without my help, which is the most important pattern for you to address. And as you change and you get healthier, you can retake this quiz and it's a way to look at your progress and kind of show you how some of these symptoms are starting to fall away or they're not as severe. And this is the one that I alluded to too, that I want you to have your partner take, right? Because you want that, you want to be able to see where they need help as well. So if you're the one doing the cooking, that way you kind of have an idea of what to include or take out for both of you. So real briefly, I'm actually going to go over some of the different patterns and some of the um, foods and symptoms that you would see in them. But like I said, this is available in the show notes. You can download it and get to work right away. By your next meal, you can be eating for your constitutional diagnosis. The first pattern is yang Qi deficiency. Now in TCM, Qi is translated very loosely to the circulating life force or energy. And the concept of qi is pretty much the same around the world, but goes by different names like prana or shakti or ki or the great spirit. according to Native American traditions, qi deficiency of the kidney, the spleen or the pancreas, um, often lead to feelings of exhaustion and being burned out. This is due to the hormonal imbalance that is a result of this pattern. You may have even heard it referred to as adrenal burnout. So when someone has adrenal burnout, they often show up with these signs as well as depleted um, kidney chi pulses and depleted spleen chi pulses. With kidney chi deficiency, you just don't really seem to have the energy that you used to have, or maybe you feel like you don't have the energy that others around you have. You may be experiencing depression. Oftentimes, you are colder than everyone else around you, even if you live in a warm climate. You might have a constant dull backache, especially pre menstrually or with menstruation. Your ankles might swell if you sit too long or on a long flight. Um, Your sexual drive or your libido just might be completely in the dumper. You might find that you are very fearful or that you worry a lot, you might wake up in the middle of the night or really early in the morning to urinate. You also might have urgent loose stools first thing in the morning that wake you. And if you're a woman, your menstrual blood might tend to be um, a dull red in color or brown, or you might have a lot of spotting. Your, Your menstrual blood just won't look very fresh, won't have a lot of vitality to it. Um, and your luteal phase, the second half of your your menstrual cycle after ovulation um, might be short. It might be less than 10 days, which can um, show a progesterone insufficiency from adrenal burnout And eating to address this is one of the ways that you can actually help to start to lengthen that cycle as well as ameliorate all of those symptoms that I just listed. So foods that are useful in tonifying kidney deficiency are raspberries, um, seeds and nuts like walnuts and chestnuts and pistachio, shellfish like lobster, shrimp, and mussels can be very helpful. Um, venison and lamb can be helpful. And then spices. Basil, clove, rosemary, chive, fennel, horseradish uh, can also help invigorate kidney yang. If your spleen cheat is deficient, oftentimes you will have some blood sugar instability. You also have a poor appetite or one that fluctuates wildly. So you don't want to eat, you feel nauseous, and then all of a sudden you're ravenous or you've just eaten and you're still ravenous. And it's kind of all over the map. Um, You might feel bloated after eating or have known food intolerances. You probably crave sweets. Um, You might have loose stools, but you also might have IBS, this kind of back and forth of constipation, loose bowels. Um, You probably have cold hands, feet, or nose. You might bruise easily. You're probably someone that was built to worry. And your menstrual blood may actually be kind of pinkish, in color, or almost watery, or you might have had a history of anemia. And sometimes, too, there are issues of prolapse, like hemorrhoids, or polyps, or uterine prolapse if you've already had a child, or varicose veins, or maybe it's just as simple as when you do have your period, your menstrual cramps actually feel like they are bearing down, like your uterus is going to fall right out of you. Those are all signs of spleen chi deficiency or spleen yang deficiency. And the issue with spleen chi deficiency is because the spleen in Chinese medicine governs how your body metabolizes water, it can lead to this pattern of dampness where in dampness, your body has not expelled water properly and it starts to congeal and take form. And it starts off slow, maybe like bloating, but then it as it pattern goes on and it solidifies, it goes into something like not being able to lose your belly weight. Um, and when this spleen sheet pattern gets really involved, it can actually obstruct things like ovulation and menstruation. And if you feel like you've got dampness, which is also a, um, can be a sensation of heaviness in your limbs, like your limbs should just weigh a thousand pounds. So you just don't want to get up and work out or, or even go to work, right? You just, it's, everything is difficult. Then you definitely want to avoid things like dairy, pork and rich fatty meats, peanuts, including peanut butter, concentrated fruit juices, even orange juice, because it's super high in sugar and it feeds this dampness pattern. Any cold foods, um, bananas, refined wheat products, um, and deep fried foods, they all make that worse. So even if you're not sure if you have dampness, but you have a lot of spleen qi deficiency, those are things that you would only want to use in small, moderated amounts because it would make the spleen chi deficiency worse. Now foods that help when you have spleen chi deficiency are chestnuts, um, spices like cinnamon and clove and fennel and garlic and ginger and um, chestnuts. Uh, and then all of the foods that I listed in the kidney yang pattern also help with spleen chi deficiency as well. So the shellfish, and roasted vegetables, and roasted chicken or lamb. Now another pattern that you could have is yin deficiency. And yin represents the energy that is responsible for moistening and cooling our bodily functions. And when this energy is depleted, our bodies begin to show signs of heating up. It's not actually true heat. It's just so we don't have enough cooling fluids to maintain that feeling of homeostasis. So, with kidney and deficiency, you may have a, a lower back issue with weakness or soreness, or maybe even some knee problems. You might experience ringing in your ears. You might be prematurely gray might have some dark circles under your eyes. Um, you might have night sweats or hot flashes. You might also have vaginal dryness or discomfort during sex because you just don't have enough cooling fluids to be lubricated. Your mouth and skin might be really dry, but yet at the same time, you just don't really think to drink. You're never super thirsty, so you don't really know if you're dehydrated. You might experience constipation, You probably don't have normal cervical mucus when you do ovulate, um, and your sleep is probably affected. You're probably restless, and if you wake up, you might have trouble getting back to sleep, uh, even if you're not having hot flashes, even if it's not that pronounced. Um, And you may even ovulate earlier than day 13. That um, inability to have those cooling, anchoring fluids might accidentally provoke the egg to come out too quickly. So foods that can enhance your yin or help rebuild these cooling fluids are things like fruit smoothies. Um, And you can't eat banana if you're yin deficiency. It's kind of the opposite of spleen yang deficiency or with dampness. Fish dishes made with coconut milk or ghee, uh, omelets that have dairy in them, asparagus and egg salads with sesame seeds. apples miso soup with tofu and seaweed now foods to avoid you do want to avoid caffeine alcohol sugar and really strongly heating and pungent spices okay these all all of these things will consume the yin they will make you feel hotter than you really are sweet potatoes are great for increasing the yin of the body as well um alfalfa sprouts, string beans, lemon, limes, um, aduki beans, black beans, kidney beans, oysters and clams, duck is a great yin tonic, um, as well as chicken eggs. So all of those are things that you can add into your repertoire. Now, there's also the pattern of liver cheese stagnation. And in liver cheese stagnation, it's basically stress. All of my fertilities have liver cheese stagnation in some varying degree, right? Because they're super stressed about not getting pregnant, not to mention that they're usually overworking and have a million other things happening at once. Um, But the way that it shows up in your symptoms is being prone to emotional depression, anger, or rage, being super irritable premenstrually. And I, you know, it can be a day, but a lot of times when it gets really pronounced, you know, this is like almost a week, sometimes two weeks of PMS symptoms like bloating and fatigue and irritableness. Um, Your breasts can even be sore ovulation with nipple tenderness. You might actually have discharge from your nipples um, when you're not pregnant or breastfeeding. Um, And that's a sign of an issue with a hormone called prolactin that can get severely out of whack um, when you have high, high levels of stress. Um, And it can also get out of whack if you've been on something like an SSRI uh, medicine to help with depression, sometimes that can be an unwanted side effect. And it is a sign that you need to check your prolactin because that can inhibit ovulation. You know, you, and even if you haven't been on one of those drugs, but your prolactin is elevated, it's sending the signal that you are so stressed that this is not a safe place to actually reproduce. And your brain has effectively hijacked ovulation is what's happening. You might also have heartburn or nausea when you're stressed. You might have trouble falling asleep, or the big one that I see is that you wake up about 1 to 3 a.m. with some racing thoughts, and it's pretty difficult to get back to sleep. And your menstrual blood, if you're a woman, might be thick and dark or purplish in color, might have some clots with it, and your ovulation can be kind of erratic. Sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late, sometimes you skip a month, and that makes it really hard when you're trying to conceive, trying to pin down that day of ovulation so you know when you're fertile the few days before for the next month, right? And then one of the last patterns that we'll talk about today is blood stasis. Or oftentimes I see this from blood deficiency in a woman, meaning that they're not getting in enough nutrient dense foods to actually help their body make adequate amounts of blood out of the food that they're eating, or they have a lot of blood tied up in endometrial tissue in something like endometriosis or fibroid. And so it's like a seemingly as if they have a deficiency of blood in the rest of their body. So they'll have some symptoms like waking about four hours after going to bed and being unable to go back to sleep. Um, sometimes they will have more anxiety than they've ever had or a low pain threshold. Now, not low pain for within their own body, but like somebody poking at them. So when a woman has blood deficiency and I needle them, I'm always very, very careful because it seemingly hurts worse. They actually don't have enough blood to nourish the nerves. And so their response to that needle is higher than most. When there's stagnation of the blood, they might have periodic numbness of hands and feet, especially at night when they're laying in a, in a prone position. Um, Like I said, you might have fibroids or endometriosis and You might actually have been diagnosed with a vascular abnormality or a blood clotting disorder like MTHFR or antiphospholipids. All of those would indicate that the blood is stagnating in your body and it needs to be moved as well as built so that it can adequately be circulated around the body. Foods that helped increase blood and decrease blood stasis are barley, corn, oats, rice, sweet rice, and wheat bran. Um, alfalfa sprouts, artichokes, beetroots, mushrooms, dark leafy greens, watercress and wheatgrass, apples, apricots, avocado, figs, kidney beans, almonds, mussels, octopus, oysters and tuna, chicken eggs, nettles, parsley, and bee pollen is actually really helpful as well all red meats, especially bone marrow and liver. So if you are someone that likes pate and you're blood deficient, you are in luck because this is a super food for you. You just want to make sure, like you said, that you get it from an organic, ethically raised, clean cut of meat, especially when you're dealing with the liver, because the liver is a big filter. So whatever went into that animal was filtered through its liver. So if you're going to eat that, you want to make sure that it was fed properly and well, that it didn't have excess amounts of hormones or antibiotics pumped into its body. But if you like to eat it, it is super nutritious. And one of the quickest ways along um, with bone broth that I know to rebuild a blood deficiency. Um, In those cases too, I often recommend that women eat about two eggs a day. So that was really in depth and a lot of information, almost impossible to know what your diagnosis is without taking this quiz. So I highly, highly encourage you to head over to the show notes at ladypotions.com backslash episode 21 and download your copy of the quiz you take it, your partner takes it, and then you are on your way by your very next meal of including some foods that will help strengthen your constitution as quickly as possible. And When your constitution is strong, fertility wants to happen. Everything in your body is working as it should. So like I said, this is the most in-depth way to go about eating for your fertility, but it's also the quickest way to rebuild it based on you and no one else. There will also be a list of books should you wish to read further. In addition to the Tao of Fertility by Daoxing Ni, I absolutely love, 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 Feed Your Fertility by Laura Ehrlich. She's one of my mentors and a superb acupuncturist also in the Los Angeles area. Um, and a doula as well her book talks a lot about the effects of eating on your baby and their adult life and how you can help that and it gravitates toward the weston a price way of thinking of including full fat clean dairy and meats as a way to stay satiated and really help your body make and sustain healthy life so i hope that this episode has been more than helpful Again, I want you to pick what works for you. Maybe even do a food journal with your partner as you try these different ways of eating on and to help yourself feel better about taking charge of your fertility because you have to eat every day, right? And if this can affect your fertility, why not eat the best that you can to potentially not just help your life, but the life of your unborn child and maybe even your unborn grandchild. If that's not a motivator, I'm not sure what else is. I hope you'll join me next week where we will talk about another subject that is super helpful to your fertility as always um, and goes really well with, with the idea of using diet to enhance your fertility. And that topic is basal body temperatures, what it can tell you, what it tells your Chinese medicine practitioner, um, and what it can actually tell you about your food too, right? Because if you are running cold all the time, if you are one of those people that is 97.2 no matter what, um, even in the luteal phase, you never quite make it up to 98, or maybe you're even in the 96s, I guarantee that you are one of these yang deficient patterns and you need warming roasted foods to actually help your body raise its internal temps so that it can sustain life. So both of these things together can give you a ton of information about what you can start to implement in your life immediately. Thank you for joining me and bringing your energy and your time. And I hope that if this was helpful, you will pass it on to others and help lift each other up. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.